I've just about had enough of you. I think you'll be able to respect a husband who's probably pulled the scientific boner of all time. In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Irony, one of the funniest forms of humor. I have made a woman. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. Think all is never wrong. Never wrong. Hello? Is anybody there? Yes, I am. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, welcome to another episode of 50 Years of Shit Robots with Matt. Hello. And Stephen. Hello. So, Stephen Murray, we've been doing this now for over 90 episodes. Can you believe that? I know. How, how did we do it? How did we do I, uh, today, uh, downloaded a new podcast app that I'm going to start using. And I would like to recommend it because it's really easy to use and it's there's lots of nice features. And it's called Good Pods. Oh, okay. So I recommend that. I always like finding things that make life easier, particularly and, and you, apps and stuff. Yeah, I know. There's so many of them and there's so many terrible ones. But you can review on this one. It's a couple of people have been reviewing. Yes, they have been giving us lots of stars so yeah so if you use good pods or any or any other uh podcast platform then uh do drop us a a review just you know hit the old five stars if you wouldn't mind if you'd be so kind you can like download and review yes one other thing quick thing i'd like to say as well is that i've just read the most brilliant book it's called machines like me by ian McEwan. I think it came out maybe in 2022. It's set in a parallel universe, but in in Clapham in the 1980s, and uh, but things are slightly different. Like for example, Britain loses the Falklands War, and um, Tony Benn becomes prime minister. You know, yeah. those there are those little things in, that are happening in the background, but it's essentially about a world in which you can buy sort of living robots that will, you know, will sort of become your companions or housekeepers or whatever. And it's about a man who buys one and the the things that happen. But it's brilliant. Right. Today, we are looking at the 1968 film starring Jane Fonda, Barbarella. Barbarella, psychedella. There's a kind of cockle shell about. When did you first see this film? I first heard about it when my my brother and my sisters went to the pictures to see it and they could not stop talking about it when they came back. Did they enjoy it or were they sort of scandalised? No, they they thought it was the likes of which they had never seen before. (laughs) I can understand that. Because it was like a mainstream film, and this was before like films like Emmanuel would hit the screens, which was soft porn. Yeah. So uh, films like that weren't around, and so this film hit the screen. It was European, and and it would it had Jane Fonda in it, which they'd seen in other films like Cat Ballou and films like that, and they were not so much scandalised, but sort of like thrilled. I think is the word. Titillated. Titillated. (laughs) (laughs) It is a very titillating And so uh, my interest was piqued, and they did this with other films as well, and there were Psycho and Easy Rider, 
were two film, three films that they were very, very excited about, I remember, when they seen them at the cinema. Well, that, that's an interesting connection because the screenwriter yes. was, this, this, the person who was one of the screenwriters on this, Terry Southern, was one of the screenwriters on Easy Rider. And Doctor Strangelove. Yes. In fact, he's got quite the CV. But the film he does after this is Easy Rider. Well, which is a film I've never seen. No, me either. So yeah, that would be quite interesting. Isn't it? Not not my kind of film, I guess, but it's a it's a kind of a genre busting movie that I ought to watch. Yeah, definitely. So Barbarella, I understand, is based on some comics. Yes, is that right? Uh, yes, it is. Jean Claude Forêt. Is it Forêt? Do we pronounce the T at the end? Forest or forest? Don't know. Forest. Spelt like forest. forest. Spelt yeah. like Nottingham Forest. Not- <laughs> Jean-Claude Nottingham Forest. Uh, yeah. They first appeared in 1962 and, and carried on till 1978. Uh, the first prints were in V magazine. And then two years later, they became a comic book of their own. And they, they at the time, they ca- people were saying it's the very first kind of X-rated adult um, comic. Okay. I don't think it was. I think there were other comics around. Uh, especially kind of under the counter ones you could get in the twenties and thirties. So, is the, does Barbarella the film? Does it span lots of comics, or is it the first few comics? Or I think it's the first few comics, and it's it's quite quite faithful. Okay, I mean the film does have a comic booky sort of vibe going on, doesn't it? It the the, the whole thing looks like it's set inside a lava lamp. Yes, it does. Which is quite odd because the company that restarted making lava lamps was called Matmos. Right, which is something that exists within the film, isn't it? it yes, it exists within the movie. Tell me, what is that horrible thing under the floor? That is the Matmos, my child. The Matmos? Well, you see, the whole city is built over a lake. It's a very curious lake. Composed like you and I of living energy but energy in liquid form, and it watches us. It is magnetic, and being positively charged, it feeds on negative psychic vibrations. (laughs) What you would call evil. The rights to the comic series were snapped up by the producer, Dino (laughs) Delarant... I've listened to a, a couple of podcasts and things, and nobody's got his name right. Dino De Laurentiis. Is that right? He was an Italian big movie mogul. He loved his films. He even built a studio outside of Rome, which became, uh, it's, I think it was Studio Cin... Cin- oh, Cinecitita. No, it was C-I-N-E-C-I-T-T-A. Cinecita. Cinecita? Cinecita. Cinecita, you and I. Cine- oh, don't. Oh, no, that's in there now. <laughs> so he was a great, he loved films and he was a great producer of, of a great many films. And I reckon there is a film that he's uh, produced that everybody will have heard of. Yes. Things like Conan the Barbarian, Blue Velvet, Three Days of the Condor, right up to Evil Dead 2. He was quite shrewd as well. Because he would uh, hold films back if he knew there were other films coming out that were very similar. So he held a, a film back called The Valici Papers because he knew that, that it would get more people to go and see it on the back of The Godfather, which came out a little bit later. Okay. So he was very shrewd. 
Yeah. He, he also was responsible for one of my favourite films as a, as a kid. Well, Flash Gordon is part of the camp trilogy assigned to him. So there was a Danger Diabolique, then there's Barbarella, and then Flash Gordon. All very, very similar looks and all incredibly camp. He yeah. made Danger Diabolique to get money so he could make Barbarella. Right. So they both came out in the same year. One uh, Danger Diabolique came out before. Well, I think there's a there's a connection certainly as well between uh, Barbarella and Flash, which is the the wings of the angel oh. surely were repurposed for Brian Blessed's Hawk <laughs> Hawkman. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive. Let's just like meander through the cast for Barbarella because it's pretty pretty cool cast. It is. So there's Jane Fonda who is at this point married to the director, Roger Vadim. Is that right? Yeah. 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 And she's joined by John Philip Law. Pygar. Yes, who plays the angel. Uh, Anita Pallenberg is... She's the Black Queen. I think she was, she was going out with Keith Richards at this point. Yeah. And she was credited as being the muse of the Rolling Stones... Yeah, and I think that she also went out with Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones as well. So she was say Brian Blessed then. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Blessed. So uh, yes, yeah, so, so Anita Pallenberg's in it. Milo O'Shea is in this film, who plays Duran Duran, which is where they got their name from. Where the band Duran Duran got their name from. Yeah, yeah. Marcel Marceau, he plays Professor Ping. Professor Ping, and I'm so gutted that he spoke in this. When I found out that he was in it, I was I really thought that they would just do him in my, just the character would be miming all the time. Um, yeah, but fact, he was dubbed. He does wanna, speak in another film. Does he? What's the what's that one? It's called Silent Movie. It's a Mel Brooks film. The whole That's film right. is silent. Yeah, and it's all cards. And he, they go up to him, and on a cue card comes up and says, "Would you like to be in our movie?" It's called Silent Film, and he just looks at the screen and goes, "No." One of my other favourite actors is in this as well, David Hemmings. And what an outfit! <laughs> what an outfit <laughs> he's wearing! Again, I'm sure that that outfit shows up in Flash. It reminded me a little bit of. There's a line in, in another film that we've looked at called Sex, Sex Kittens Go to College, where one of the characters comments on another's dress, says, oh, nice dress, what there is of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. It me a bit of that. But just while, while, we're, while we're on David Hemmings, can we just push the, the David Hemmings door open a fraction and peek inside? Because I, I found something really interesting about him. Oh, which is that he was uh, as a child he worked a lot with Benjamin Britten because Hemmings had this sort of beautiful soprano voice. Oh, wow. And and he formed a close friendship with Benjamin Britten. And he was in quite a few things. He was in The Turn of the Screw for which Hemmings and Benjamin Britten kind of created the role of Miles. So they had a very sort of like, obviously a very fruitful sort of um, working relationship. It was a very, apparently very innocent uh, relationship. 
um, although it said that Britain was sort of infatuated with with David Hemmings. <laughs> but there's a really sort of sad end to it, Aww. which is where it says Benjamin Britten's interest in David Hemmings came to an, a very abrupt end the moment his voice broke. Oh, <laughs> <And> <laughs> oh the shallowness of the creative mind. <laughs> he says that the and David Hemmings' voice broke during a performance. Uh, he was singing the aria Marlowe during a performance of The Taming of the Shrew in Paris in 1956. It says, Britain was furious, waved Hemmings away, and never had any further contact with him. Really? <laughs> yes. So I thought was like, I mean, that's brutal, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. But that's what happens when you have a muse. You have a muse yeah. for one reason. And yeah. as, soon as, that, as soon as that muse says no, or as soon as that muse ceases to be what you want it to be, they're gone. Yeah. But it really reminded me. <laughs> there's a lovely scene in The Simpsons where Homer has a, a really angelic voice as a child, and there's a <laughs> there's a moment where he's performing and his voice <laughs> breaks from this angelic soprano voice and becomes the sort of Homer voice. That we <laughs> oh, bless! Hey, my voice just changed. Oh, night. When Christ was born. There's actually another cast member that I'd like to quickly chat about, which is Kenneth Williams. Are you sure? Because I can't find any evidence of this whatsoever. Okay, so when you when you watch Barbarella, there is a character in the film who is voice only. A very it's like the computer that runs Barbarella's ship. Which is, I think, interesting because we're sort of like the juggernaut of 2001 and Hal is sort of like looming on our horizon. So it's interesting that in this film, there's a sort of like a parallel to that. But it is, I mean, the first first sentence that this computer utters, I thought, oh, that's Kenneth Williams. And and I, I wasn't ever sort of dissuaded from that. You know how sometimes what, you think... by yourself? No, but you know how sometimes you when you hear somebody speak a couple of sentences, you think, oh, they sound like Kenneth Williams. And then, and then they'll say some more things and you think, oh, no, it's not. No, they don't sound like that. But he just kept on sounding like Kenneth Williams. And I had a look to see because I thought, well, that's interesting. I didn't realise that he'd done that. But there is absolutely, not, not, only, not only is there no information about whether he does that, there's no information about who, who does that voice. Mm. And that I thought okay. was interesting. So look, have you done, you've done some digging about Kenneth Williams. I looked everywhere. I looked. Um, I even sat and scoured the uh, title sequence of the film. Um, had a look on the BFI site because they do a little bit more in depth on on uh, cast and crew. Nothing. Is there a, a sort of a, an alternative name thrown up anywhere? No, nothing. Couldn't find anything. Because you sort of think. I mean, I could sort of imagine, sort of. Knowing what I, you know, the, the little I know of Kenneth Williams, but but having read his diaries and stuff, that I mean, he was quite a sort of um, well, a sort of willow the wispy type character, wasn't he? Yeah, um, I could imagine him doing something like this, thinking it was going to be awful, or hating it, or, or or seeing the finished film and hating it, and then saying, "I oh, don't, I don't want my name, you know, don't don't ah, attach my name to it." Okay, it just seems so odd that it so sounds like him, and, and, and there's no other alternative. Do you think he would do an Alan Smithy on it? Yeah, maybe. 
Yeah, possibly. Alan, Alan Smith, he, that's the sort of like the, the nom de plume. If, you've, if you're in a film and you don't want to be named in a film, you, you sort of say, I want to be known as Alan Smithy, please. Yeah, or if you want to be really nasty, you could say, I want to be called Judas Booth. Oh, really? Named after Jew, uh, Judas, obviously, and uh, Tony Booth. Booth. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the Booth character who shot Lincoln. Oh, yes. Well, what I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just... So that you can hear his voice, I'm going to. I'm going to. Let's listen to the voice of the computer, and everyone can see how Kenneth Williams-like it is. Acceleration into temporal space continuum now beginning. Alfie, when do we get to the Tau Ceti gravitational field? One hundred and fifty-four hours, seven minutes elapses Earth time. Right. Wake me up in one hundred fifty-four hours. Confirmed. Good night, Alfie. Confirmed. Let's have a quick wander through the story, which is that Barbarella is a space adventurer and she has been sent to the Tau Ceti planetary system by Earth's president to retrieve a character called Durand Durand, who has invented... Uh, the positronic ray, which uh, the Earth president fears will cause mass destruction. Barbara lands on the planet and sort of like it wanders around meeting lots of people and trying to find Duran Duran. And the the Earth is like, it's um, it's a really peaceful place, isn't it, in this future? Yes, no, war, is, war is gone. Because she says, when he says he's developed a weapon, and she said, why would he do that? Yeah. There's no weaponry. She's very uncomfortable when uh, the president of the Earth sends her some weapons. Yeah. And um, she doesn't really know what to do with them, so she just shoves them in a cupboard. <laughs> in her spaceship, which which is just a, a carpeted. It's beautiful, isn't it? I love the spaceship. <laughs> it is. It's just like a sort of a, I don't know, like a Playboy mansion or something, isn't it? Like a room <laughs> yeah. in a Playboy mansion. It is. <laughs> which is very appropriate. Exactly. Exactly. Um so, I mean, one of the most sort of iconic moments happens immediately as soon as the film starts, which is the title sequence, doesn't it? Oh, I love the title sequence. When I was young, I could not work out how they did it. So she's floating around inside her ship. Yes. Uh, and undressing. From yes. A, from a, a spacesuit that's really magnificent. Uh, and it all comes apart wonderfully. And she's flinging the bits all over. And it's not until she takes the helmet off and it rolls and she kicks it. And I thought, oh, she's on a giant piece of Perspex. Yeah. I, d- I had no idea how, how that was done until you told me. It's lovely, isn't it? It's really brilliant. I love all of that stuff as well. That's That sort of practical effect thing. I think that's brilliant. And it it's really effective. It is very and effective. It looks really and- good. And then all of a sudden, um, she's completely naked. Yes. And then you realise that the director is uh, her husband. Yes. And then you sort of think to yourself, good God, man, what are you doing? What on earth are you doing? I read an article that she did recently with Vanity Fair, and she said that she found the whole shoot really horrible and Mm. uncomfortable because she said she'd got sort of body dysmorphia at the time. And she found, so she found A, but being naked agonizing and also like i mean it, the suits that she the cost of the clothes that she wears are just sort of skin tight uh i mean they're iconic aren't they but 
um, they don't. Yeah, have they are amazing. She got, she went through three phases in her life. She went through the sex kitten phase, uh, and then she went through the radical phase, and then she went through the corporate phase. So there was three phases of of Jane Fonda. And also, I suppose, like the sex kitten phase is like when she's really young, isn't it? And it's very much seen through the male gaze, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lot of that in here, but she does. Uh, she she still has her own agency throughout this. Mm. It's one of these. She, I mean, she's no she's no Ripley from Alien, and she's no Sarah Connor, but she is her own person. It's all on her terms. Yeah, and she... when she is in situations where it's not on her terms, then you know she's. And there's a moment in the film that we'll talk about at the end that was quite quite kind of scandalous in a way not because of what was happening but because of the implications of what was happening to her is that the machine that she's yeah in? she was having an orgasm without a man right yeah, she was. <laughs> and then the man hated it <laughs> yes <laughs> call cross um okay well i suppose that the the robots in this are twofold aren't they because we've got We've got AI in the form of Kenneth Williams. <laughs> Can we call him Ken? Like Ken. K dot E dot N. Like Hal. Um, <laughs> so you've got Ken. Uh, and you've also got uh, sort of uh, when Barbarella lands on this planet, she's like really kind and trusting and innocent, I suppose, isn't she? And yeah. The people on the planet are uh, horrible. <laughs> So the first people she encounters are some children who she sort of like thinks are all lovely. And then they kidnap her, chain her up, and then attack her with these sort of killer robot dolls, which have got these very sharp teeth. And they just gnash their teeth and move closer and closer to her as she's chained up. Well, they ladder her tight. They do. They draw blood, though, don't they? They do draw blood. Yeah, they do. So, so the robots appear very early. In fact, all the robots are done and dusted in the first well, ten minutes, really, aren't they? Well, Matthew, are the Leathermen robots? Well, that's a good question. That is a very good question. Yeah. So the Leathermen are the guards of the the Black Queen. Yes, they're the guards of Sogo, the, the city. Yeah, and... which is a portmanteau word from Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. They've got big whips, big thick tentacle whips, and go around whipping people. Easy. <laughs> and then they and, and one of them is killed by Barbarella and her angel. What's the angel called? Pygar. Pygar, that's right. And it sort of explodes and there's nothing inside. Yeah, he sort of goes up like a cockroach. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think that they're robots? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah. Uh, okay. I used to think they were when I was a kid because they they've got like a it looks like a suit of samurai armor, but in leather. Yes, and they're called. Aren't they called leather men? They're called leather men. Yeah, I'm. I'm getting a bit hot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's an awful lot of sort of bondage in this, isn't there? A lot, an awful lot, <laughs> an awful lot. So Barbarella is saved from the killer robots dolls by what's his name? He is the catcher. The catcher. That's right. Who is a sort of a, like a wild woodsman roaming the ice planet that they're on. It's my favourite scene. I'm so grateful for what you've done, I hardly know how to begin to thank you. I'm positive I could get you some sort of recompense from my government. I mean, if, if there's anything you need or that I can do, please tell me. Well, you could let me 
make love to you. Make love, did you say? Yes. What do you mean? You don't even know my psychocardiogram. Eh? Well, on Earth, for centuries, people haven't made love unless their psychocardiogram readings were in perfect confluence. I know nothing of that. You ask me what you can do for me. He keeps saying, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about this. And he wants to, he wants to have sex the old way. Yeah. He got this bear suit on, and then he takes the bear suit off, and he's literally just as hairy yeah. as a man as he is with his suit on. Yeah. And so, I just thought that was so funny. So this is because uh, he saves Barbarella. Barbarella says, is there anything I can do for you? Yes. And he says, I'd want to make love to you. And so and so they do. And she's really sort of like sceptical of it. And then afterwards, I mean, he's absolutely blown her mind. Oh, hasn't he just? <laughs> I felt very uncomfortable about all of that. That's quite interesting. Um, I didn't because I've seen the film before, but I am quite uncomfortable when I'm watching sex on. I'm watching at the moment uh, True Detectives season four. And there's a lot of sex in that, and, I, and I'm finding it very uncomfortable to watch. I think it was more the idea that there's an unwilling uh, person, and then they really enjoy it, and and so it's all right. Sort of oh thing. no, yeah, it's not all right. A bit, a bit icky with that, but, and but she's then, very innocent. She's very innocent, yeah, and she maintains that innocence right up until the end of the film. She in does. In fact, it's her innocence that saves her. But she then uses the this knowledge, doesn't she? This knowledge of sex in the old-fashioned way. Yeah, when she's with her angel friend, she she goes. The next sort of person she meets is Pygar, and she knows she's got to get to the city, and she needs him to fly her to the city. But he has lost the will to fly, and so she has sex with him in his nest. <laughs> in, his, in his nest, that's adorable. <laughs> and then, and then he has the will to fly. He finds the will to fly, even though something we haven't mentioned about him. Yes, he's blind. He is blind. He doesn't need to see. Because angels are only love. <laughs> angels are love. I love them. There are some nice lines in there. There are some lovely lines in it. There are some, lo- and I would say that on the whole, overall, I I really enjoyed watching this film. I thought you would. Um, it's it's very of its time, I suppose, isn't it? It's very sort of caught in the. In Do you a, know what? In the sunlight of 1968. Every time I watch it, though. Because of what I've been watching around it, it changes. Because I, I did think it was trash, mm. and then later on, with all the space films that were coming out and and Dune, then I rewatched it again, and it wasn't so trashy. Yeah, it was quite interesting. I started looking at the the fantastic, magnificent sets because it is that they threw a lot of money Absolutely. at this. Absolutely, they're gl- glorious. And I think watching it again, I've just recently seen Poor Things, and I've, it's changed my mind about the film again. For good or for bad? Kind of for good. Yeah. It has this kind of ability to kind of keep going. It is not without its its lovely charm, I think, this film. No, and, and I don't think anybody else could have played the part, really. I thought Jane Fonda was good in this. and, yeah, and, and I thought so, too. And, and the, her innocence is so part of the character. Yeah. And I think that she plays that really, really well, I thought. Especially when we get to the city, which we do, which we do next, and we see Anita Pallenberg, who is not innocent at all. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> She's after anything she can get. When Barbarella's in the city, she has she has sex with David Hemmings, but she has rapport with him, doesn't she? Because he's yeah. he's heard about it uh, and wants to wants to try it. 
In fact, it's a really it's played for laughs a lot, particularly that scene, isn't it? Because their um, their hair Roger goes Vadim all wanted, funny. Yeah, Roger Vadim wanted the whole film to be fairly humorous, but yeah. I think that the humor kind of doesn't really hit off. Then um, we get to this scene that you were talking about earlier, where Barbarella finds Duran Duran, who she's been looking for, and he sort of like puts her in a um, a machine that's called the Exsexive machine. Oh, it's sort of nice, isn't it? Yes, it is nice. In the beginning, when we reach the crescendo, you will die. Pleasure. Rain will be swift, but sweet. Very sweet. But the excessive machine uh, induces fatal sexual pleasure. So, so she's sort of trapped in this, I guess, like the sort of body of a piano or a, or a, a, a Wurlitzer organ. Oh, uh, yeah, I would say more of a, like an organ. Yeah, and he's pl- then playing the keys and causing and it's her... undulating yeah and, she, causing... and her clothes fly off and shoot out the bottom <laughs> and then she she sort of exp- has this sort of like rollicking orgasm um and m- causes the machine <laughs> the machine to blow up apparently they didn't tell them about the pyrotechnics and poor Miley O'Shea thought that the machine had blown up <laughs> <laughs> poor guy <laughs> poor guy yeah, so that was the scandalous bit, seeing a woman have an orgasm without a man. And then we're really near the end of the film. Then um, Duran Duran sort of tricks Barbarella to uh, and traps her in the Black Queen's sort of sleep lair, the, her chamber of dreams. And then Barbarella and the Queen escape from there. And while Duran Duran is, is sort of firing off his positronic ray, he gets... Um, he gets done in by the old mathmos, doesn't he? Yes, he gets uh, he gets absorbed by the mathmos. But um, the reason why the Black Queen and Barbarella can uh, escape is because the mathmos cannot devour Barbarella because she's too innocent. That's right. And Pygar had previously been thrown in, and he can't die either because he's innocent. He's an angel, and so there's a bubble that's formed around the two of them on a on a a couch that's the shape of a woman on her back. It would be, uh, and they managed to survive. And um, and Pygar saves the two of them. Yes, and she says, Pygar, what did you save her for after all the terrible things she's done to you? An angel has no memory, and then he flies, flies away to the wonderful music. Yes, I love that music. I remember it uh, coming out because in 1977 they uh, re-released the film. Um, and then that's where Queen of the Galaxy came into the name because it only used to be Barbarella before. And so in 1977, on the back of all the sci-fi films that were coming out, they re-released it, called it Barbarella, Queen of the Galaxy. Um, it earned $2.5 million in North American theatres in the year of release in 1968. It was the second most popular film in general on general release in the UK in 1968. The most popular film was... The Jungle Book. And it was uh says it Barbarella received a condemned rating from the from the <laughs> national from the National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures, which called the film, quotes, a sick, heavy-handed fantasy with nudity and graphic representations of sadism. Um 
Um, there is one bit of nudity. Well, there's lots of bits of nudity, in fairness. When they're in the underground kingdom of Marcel Marceau, there's loads of bodies just writhing, captured in, in like the, the rock that are all, all nude. And when they're in the city, there's loads of... They're all, like, trussed up, aren't they, in, like, funny yeah, sex chairs. That, that's the... <laughs> sex chairs. <laughs> oh. Would you like to pull up a chair? I only have a funny sex chair to offer you, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's quite comfortable when you settle in. It's... Uh... <laughs> I thought there was only one major bit of nudity, and that was right in the title sequence, which were created by Morris Binder, the uh, title sequence designer for the Bond films. Oh, brilliant. So, we have to rate the robots. Oh, you're going to rate them all? Plural. Yeah, I think so. Shouldn't yeah, we? I'll go. Yeah, yeah. So, shall we do um, Ken first? <laughs> What's his real name? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> The, I is, liked this robot. The AI I like that this controls AI. the ship. I agree. There's mm. that amazing. I don't know what it is. It's like a metal kind of shimmering sheet, which is, looks like that's his interface. Yeah. At the back of the ship, it's really beautiful. I think, I think what they've done is they filled they filled her spaceship full of art because there is um, there is a Matisse in there, isn't there? Right. And I think that might be a piece of art that's been in a gallery. But ah. it, it, but the little the little slits um, move up and down to to the uh, sound of his voice as well, yes. don't they? I thought that was lovely, and I love it when he sings her awake. Yes, honestly, those. Barbarella rise and shine. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I, I would be, I'm very disposed to giving good marks to, to Ken, Ken because yeah, I thought, he, I thought he, it looked lovely. I thought the voice was great and sort of did, did he what, function, functioned. he flew the ship, he yeah. went into manual when it needed to go into manual. Yeah. He survived. Yes. Yeah. I'd give him like maybe three for functionality, but I'm going to, I mean, four, I think for looks and design. Yeah. I thought it was I'll great. i that. What about the um, the <laughs> strange um, the robot toothy dolls. robot dolls? Yeah, I like them. I like the look of them. They're pretty pretty terrifying. They were terrifying. It's one of the things that my sister used to talk about. Because they were horrible. Yeah. And there's always a thing about dolls, isn't there? That move. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're sort of they're they're more Chucky than Chucky, aren't they? Oh yeah. They, oh know. yeah. They could give him a run for their money. Oh, I mean, his money, it, couldn't they? Yeah. They 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 just savage him. I think. Um, so what about looks then for the, for the little dolls? Oh, I think the looks are great. Four. Four. Yeah. Okay. And, um, f- fit for purposeness. Well, yeah. Two. Two. Yeah. Okay. M- maybe they're not quite, don't quite cross the threshold. No, they were, they were only in it for one scene and they yeah. did their bit. They terrified the audience. They seem Look. more mechanical as well, don't they? They yeah. seem like they're sort of clockwork more than anything. Automaton. Yeah. What about then the Leathermen? Oh, Matron. <laughs> I thought they looked great. I would give them four for looks. Yeah, and maybe one. <laughs> one. <laughs> they were very, they're very easily <laughs> defeated. Yeah. I mean, if they, if they have this, if they have this internal pressure that uh, makes them explode, if you you know if they bump into a corner of something, then uh, yeah, no one. good. That is it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so we have a no- one not shit robot in yeah. Barbara, which I'm pleased about. And it's unexpected. Yeah. Really unexpected. I think if I was to find out it wasn't Kenneth Williams, then I might downgrade it. Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As we're sort of talking, finishing up talking about the AI that controls the ship, perhaps we should mention that. Uh, as we said earlier, 2001 is sort of hoving into view. Mm. We've got another film to go before we get there. Um, and because 2001 feels like it is a sort of landmark moment in our journey and Hal might be a significant uh, sort of robot in our, on our journey, we're going we're gonna to devote quite a few episodes to 2001 just to warn you. So we're going to get the last non-2001 film out of the way first, which will be next week when we're looking at a film from Spain called Superago and the Faceless Giants. And then the following week, we're going to start our odyssey, 2001. Uh, so listen have a great week thanks so much for joining us don't forget to rate and review and to tell all your friends and all your enemies and all your robots and we'll see you next time goodbye goodbye because it was proved to be distracting and a danger to maximum efficiency